It's over. It's finally over. AEW Dynamite and NXT will no longer be on the same night. Starting April 13th, NXT moves to Tuesday. So here is our last review of Dynamite and NXT on the same episode of the Squared Circle Psycho Babble. My name is Michael Valenti. Joining me is Ralph Valenti. Ralph, let's start off with AEW Dynamite and some history being made on this episode. For the first time in seven years, Christian Cage in singles competition goes up against someone that he used to wrestle in Impact Wrestling, Frankie Kazarian. I got to admit, Ralph, this match was a lot slower than any match in AEW I've ever seen, but that's not a bad thing. I'm glad you said it, and literally I'm sitting there watching that match, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so this is a good match, but is it is it a good match for the AEW fan base? Now, there's no secret here that there is a, a very large percentage of the AEW fan base that, that prefers an alternate style of wrestling that you're going to get from the WWE. Correct. Um, now, last night, what we saw was a very good wrestling match. I enjoyed the match. I, did you enjoy the match? I thought it was a good match. I felt like... It started it, slow. Started slow. It took a little while to slow. get going. It started slow, but I felt like it was a safe match. I felt like Kazarian was the perfect opponent for Christian because... He was a guy that knew Christian from Impact Wrestling. He knows his limitations. He knew what he can and can't do. They already have chemistry in the ring together. And you weren't going to see anything crazy, but they still tested the waters with Christian. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And and that was the thing that I was thinking throughout the match. I'm like, okay, I I think this is a good match. I, I like it. I like the direction it's going. I like that they're getting their stuff in. I like the fact that I think it was on three separate occasions Kazarian fought off the uh, unprettier or kill switch or right. whatever whatever they're going to call it. I don't I don't the know if they switch. actually give it kill switch. Yeah, um, I we know it as the unprettier from back way back when I believe that was what it was called. So, um, yeah, I, I mean I I liked it. I'm interested. I want to know what people think. I want to know what the AW fan base thinks. I want to know what you know a, a good percentage of the people that that follow our podcast. You know they they are very much into AEW. So it's going to be interesting. Do they do they uh, appreciate it? Do they do they like it? Did they think it was too slow? I think that you always need a match kind of like this that's going to um, you know, slow the pace down, let them get their stuff in, really kind of tell a story. It also gives a break from the high-flying action because a lot of the guys that they have under contract at AEW are the younger, high-flying guys, the guys that are going to get mm-hmm. their spots in, the guys that are going to take risks like... Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I thought it was a good match. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it was a I think it was a very good match. And do you think this is a match that Christian can go and tell people in the locker room, like, guys, you don't need to go so damn fast. Slow down and let things progress. I think that's really where he's going to excel in AEW and really be a locker room leader for some of these guys. Because let, let's face it. AEW has a lot of green wrestlers on their roster right now. And a guy like Christian is definitely going to benefit from telling these guys, slow the hell down. Well, I mean, it's not just Christian. We've heard it time and time again from a lot of other prominent people that are within AEW that have a lot of experience in wrestling. So uh, Jim Ross, I I know that he's certainly been critical of, of certain spots and certain parts of the show. Uh, certain move sets that the guys are doing. I, I just listened to. So the leg slap, he was critical of that. He was, he was critical of 
uh, people standing around on the outside of the outside of the ring and just mm-hmm. people randomly jumping off the top rope or, or yep. diving over the top rope and landing on top of each other. That was a big issue. So, you know, I, I think that if if they're not going to listen to to guys like Jim Ross, I think that Christian is still young enough where he can get through to people like that, get through to the talent. There's all all types of shit going on in back of me right now, by the way. But you know what? This could potentially be one of our last shows. So the oven's going off. There's door slamming. I don't give a shit. Don't care what's <laughs> happening right now in back of me. So there's a pan that just fell. Fuck it. <laughs> Let it go. We may not be live, but fuck it. We're going to be live. <sighs> live to tape, as they Where's call the it. Where's the cat? Right? We haven't seen the cat in about three episodes. Well, well, let's let's focus on the review, Ralph. And let's uh, let's switch to how NXT started. It was Cameron Grimes versus Roderick Strong. And I thought this told a really good story. Obviously, Roderick Strong is still confused on what's happening with the Undisputed Era, what happens to him as a singles competitor, trying to go through it. But Cameron Grimes trying to buy the intellectual property of the Undisputed Era. I thought that was hilarious. I love his T-shirt, Grimes the System, and trying to add Grimes the System onto the Titantron, stuff like that. Uh, I did like... There were two spots I thought were great for the storytelling aspect. I don't know if it was a plant. I'm assuming it's a plant, but it's someone in the crowd dressed up in an Undisputed Era t-shirt next to him and Adam Cole uh, t-shirt. That kind of threw Roderick Strong off. And then finally the finish where Cameron Grimes pulls a wristband out of his trunks. It's an Undisputed Era trunk, um, Undisputed Era wristband. And uh, that is a great way to tell the story. And we know that Roderick Strong leaves NXT and he says, I'm done. So obviously cliffhanger there. What'd you think of this? I thought it was good. I thought that I always feel like Cameron Grimes matches are not going to be as competitive as they end up being just because he does play more of a comedic, uh, a comedic. And he has that persona about him, but um, yeah, I, I thought that I thought the match itself was, was fine. I think that they told a story throughout it. I think the main part of this is, is going to be Roderick strong, Uh, Does he end up playing a role in the outcome in the match between Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole? I think that's a likely scenario and a Mm -hmm. likely outcome. And I'm sure that he will get involved. Um, So, you know, that just kind of remains to be seen. Uh, But no, I I thought, I thought this was fine. I thought it was a decent opener and, you know, I thought, I thought it was good across the board. What do you think of the whole crime Grimes, the system? It's fine. It fits his persona. You know, I that, honestly, do you, uh, the, the one spot that was a little crazy in the match was when he did the, uh, like standing Spanish fly. It looked yes. like he landed on his neck. Yeah. That was scary. Badly. That was really scary. I thought he landed right on his head, but watched, I watched it back a few times. Yeah. It was scary. And, uh, luckily he's okay. Able to go into the battle Royal later on in the night, which we'll go over later on, but let's, uh, move on to our next bit from AEW dynamite. And that is this whole thing with QT Marshall and Cody Rose, the exhibition match with Arn Anderson um, as the referee. Now, I don't know if this was going to count in the standings, but it doesn't matter anyway because it's a no contest. Uh, as we see, QT Marshall punches out Arn Anderson and then several members of the Nightmare Factory turn on Cody Rhodes and the rest of the Nightmare family. I believe it was Aaron Solo. It was Anthony Gogo. I'm drawing a blank on the third person that turned with QT Marshall. I got to be honest. I felt like this whole segment, this whole match went way too long. They could have done this in one segment, but instead they put it through the picture and picture. 
They do like another five minutes of the the whole beat down or whatever. It felt way too long for me. I I I don't mind the story. I actually like the story. I, I, I like that Cody is actually trying to elevate other people within the company. So that that aspect of it I like. But I'm unfortunately I'm gonna have to be that guy that says this because you know naturally that's just kind of what I do on the show. But I don't know if it was before this this particular match or it could have been after, but the theme of the night for me was so many factions, so many friends. Are they really overthinking a lot of these storylines? I mean, I understand they want to try and build the dynamic between Cody and QT Marshall, but at the same time, if you look at the show, there's so many instances where, and, and not just last night, but in re- previous weeks, one t- at one week, at one point, these guys are in a faction together. The next week, they're not friends, or they're all of a sudden with somebody else. And now, you know, Eddie Kingston all of a sudden is friends with Moxley, and they're, uh, they're, they're best buds, and they're on each other's side. Later on in the night, we had, uh, what's that guy's name? Benoni? Bionni? Cesar Bononi. Bononi. And Nick uh, Nemeth, J.D. Drake, all of a sudden, they're, they're, they're a group. And then you had Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page. At some point, I get it. We grew up watching the Attitude Era. Factions are can be fine. But at what point do you say, look, enough's enough. We got enough factions. We got enough groups. I don't know. I I like the storyline, but the aftermath of the match. I know some people are throwing this, oh, way too many factions thing, but I personally don't mind it too much as long as every faction's got something going storyline-wise because it's just, they basically, they take this out of New Japan Pro Wrestling where every wrestler, with the exception of a handful, have some form of faction assigned to them. You know, you have LIJ, you have Bullet Club, you have Chaos, you have Suzuki Goon. Every, like everyone has have has some kind of faction, and I think that's what AEW is trying to do because, like, like a lot of people assumed AEW is trying to be New Japan in America. And while some aspects have come over, this is one of those that I think has. And I don't mind the factions. It's the fact that. Week after week after week, I feel like if you're a casual fan, you would be crap out of luck because you would never be able to keep track of who's aligned with who, who's siding with who, who's in which faction. One week, Pax into Death Triangle. The next week, he's out of the Death Triangle. And then Eddie Kingston's got his group with the Lucha Brothers, and then the Lucha Brothers now have their own group with this guy. It's just, it's it's all over the place, and it happens too quickly. Guys change faction to faction, whether they're going to be a face or a heel uh lance archer like it seemed like he was a face one week and then all of a sudden he's he wants to go after sting it's i don't mind it i mean i think i think those things have to happen but i think that where i kind of lose lose um lose track of what's going on is just the fact that week in and week out guys are just in factions or out of factions and on a tag team and out of a in a tag team out of an out of a tag team week after week it just kind of varies it's kind of like a roller coaster and for a casual fan, they're not going to be able to keep up with it, especially when you do it in a case like this. And this was the main point I wanted to bring up. There's nothing wrong with the factions, but a lot of these guys are people or individuals who aren't even really established, which is fine if you can get them established. But, I mean, it's difficult to do when you have so many factions and so many people that you're trying to promote throughout the entirety of the show. There's only so much time, and they only have one show. 
good way well, to get everybody on TV, but at the same time, you can't honestly realistically expect everybody to turn out like Sammy Guevara. It's just not going to happen. True, but they also they have three shows. Only one is on actual television because you have Dark Elevation, you have Dark, and you have Dynamite. And, and they, they did it again last night, and this is the thing we always talk about. Look, if it's important, put it on Dynamite, right? So they said uh, that guy, B- B- Benoni? Cesar Benoni, yes. Cesar Benoni. Uh, Nemeth and J.D. Drake, they said, I think they were on what, like Elevate or whatever one of the, Whatever show Elevation, it was, I believe. They I think said it was Elevation. That, that that's where they had formed their little group and they found success there, which is fine. I mean, if they're going to try to tell that story, I'm confused by the whole Scorpio Sky, Ethan Page thing. Like, do they do the, do those two really need to be in a tag team? That was the thing that probably bothered me the most. Like, if are they going to be a group? Can't they find like those two? I feel like can find success on their own. They don't need each other for anything. I agree. But Scorpio Sky just came out of a group. Right. You know, I, I don't know. That's just that's just my thought on it. Um, but anyway, I right. guess that could be my my rant for the evening. Well, let's hope that's just your only rant for this evening. But let's move on. On NXT, we had Santos Escobar beating Tyler Breeze in an open challenge for the Cruiserweight Championship. We also find out that Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon will defend the women's tag team titles against Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell. So let's move on to the next segment on NXT, which is Raquel Gonzalez versus Zoe Stark. And the aftermath of it where Raquel Gonzalez is constantly beating Io Shirai. Io Shirai keeps coming back and back and back. It it leads to actually the closing moments of the show. So let's all just talk about it in one big swoon here where Raquel Gonzalez just beats the crap out of Io Shirai, but Io Shirai just won't stay down. I thought this was a great progression throughout the show. And Io Shirai looking like the tough, baby face that doesn't want to quit while Raquel Gonzalez is the heel that's dominating. I think this is a great way to tease their match in this dynamic for their match next week for stand and deliver. I, I hated the end of NXT hated it. Really? I, I, I feel like what well, we've talked about this before the pull apart brawl is one of the most over overutilized uh, storylines or instances that happens leading into a pay-per-view or a big match especially within the WWE. Um, this one here, you have Io Shirai, who is all of God, five feet. Um, She's not that short. Okay, 5'2", five 5'3", five okay, I'm being generous. Probably like that, maybe. Okay. I'll have to look. Would you say 130 pounds? <laughs> I don't think, I don't know. I forget what they what they say her weight is. Whatever her weight is. She she's she's certainly no she's no she's no Raquel Gonzalez she's no, no Rhea Ripley no four or five referees literally stood there throwing their arms about calling for help from the back wanting them to break up the 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 pull apart brawl there because they just they couldn't control old little old Io Shirai they couldn't hold her back and then of course what did they do everybody standing outside the ring so Io Shirai can conveniently jump on the top rope. And cause everybody to tumble over. It's just, it's lazy. I, I can't get into it. It's been overdone a million times. No, they they find a bet find a better way. Find something more compelling to build the story. So what would you do instead to make it more compelling? That would have left it alone. I would I would have closed the show with L.A. Knight face to face with Johnny Gargano. That's that's it. how the that's there there you could have done any you could have panned to the back. And legitimately just had them being pulled apart. You didn't need the whole 
um, strange looking. Uh, it's just, it's just everybody looks so uncomfortable and so unnatural. You got five referees on the outside throwing their arms about, calling for help from the back. Why do you need help? Especially with Io Shirai. She's, she's, she's this little petite woman. Right. I just checked Wikipedia. They have her listed as one, uh, five foot one inch, 119 I, pounds. There is, well, there you go. So, okay, maybe I had her a little taller than I thought, but yeah. Uh, I mean, I do, mean, do, you could do a, you could do a spot where Io Shirai gets her revenge and like, uh, takes her out in the back and like, attacks her knee or something and that can play into their match anything other than the lazy pull apart brawl that we've seen time and time again from wwe countless I mean, I get times that. i get that aspect of it but do you think the whole like raquel just beating her down and eo refusing to to stay down i thought that it, was the great part of it it's the great part of it but that's also the reason why you tune in for the the i'm going to say pay-per-view here but the big show. This is why you tune in for the takeover because you would like to see the babyface get the revenge. It doesn't do you any justice to see Io Shirai take out eight people on the outside, including the person that she that's been kicking her ass leading into the. You you want to see Io Shirai go against her and get her revenge? It just gave it away. Not really. I mean, yes and no. Like basically, they're saying that Io is refusing to stay down, and that's going to be the story told next week at Stand and Deliver. Now Raquel's got to pretty much beat the ever-loving crap out of her to win this match. And if so, even if she wins, does she really win? Because Io's still not going to stay down. Well, Io should have done herself a favor and stayed down at least until next week. I, I guess so. But uh, on AEW Dynamite, John Moxley does beat Cesar Bononi. But we also have the return of the inner circle, Ralph. Uh, backstage segment where we see the gift given by MJF to the pinnacle. They get a stylist. He looks like MJF was going to get something out of the bathroom, but hiding in there is uh, Chris Jericho, uh, Santana and Ortiz, Sammy Guevara. Mm -hmm. MJF's like, we got to go, we got to go, but Jake Hager's on the other side. I thought this was a really good beatdown, a great... I wasn't expecting that reveal of the inner circle coming back, especially... Seeing that this match, this show was pre-taped, I would have thought they would have brought them back next week when it was live with people there. But great. I thought this was a really good segment. And maybe it was just the shirt that Jericho's wearing, but somehow it looked like he dropped 10 pounds in the two weeks he's been gone. Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know. Well, what, I, I wasn't really looking for that, but. I wasn't either, but I just noticed that. I was like, wow, Jericho looks slimmer here for well, some Well, that reason. was always his excuse, right? Was, didn't he actually say that? He feels like he doesn't need to keep himself in shape because he's a heel. Now that he's a yes. face, maybe he's going to try to try to take care of himself a little bit better. Yeah. A little it's less possible. bubbly. Maybe. But he used that bubbly to, to uh, pour it on MJF. And throwing him in the Pepsi thing, that was vicious. But yeah. I was surprised. MJF not getting cut at all. Wow. I'm sure they used the same type of glass that Marty Jannetty went through. Uh, I guess, but that's that glass from gimmick. 1992. I would think the technology of glass has gotten much better where people could get cut when they get thrown through it. I don't know. Oh, I knew he was going to do that. I know, but... Uh, that was the that was my favorite segment of the night. That was done very well. I liked it a lot. I liked the aggression of it. It did, See, that is, to me, that's done well because you watch it, you get into it, it doesn't seem like fake or overly staged or anything like that. I thought it. I thought everybody played their part perfectly in that whole thing. 
I, I, I totally agree. And I can't wait for the faction warfare between these two. I know we just talked about way too many factions, but this one, I think, definitely has the right storyline and the right progression going into it. But my favorite part of NXT, Ralph, was not in the ring. It wasn't backstage. It was this video package with Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. I felt like I was watching a movie trailer that just told the story of these two characters going into this big blockbuster movie for this summer. It got me all hyped for this match. I mean, after watching it, I was like, man, this got a main event night two. forget carrying cross and Finn Balor. They got this little tiny segment and carrying cross cutting a promo backstage. But this, this felt like a WrestleMania match. Yeah, this, this was very good. And this, this kind of followed up what they, what they started last week, because even, even last week, you know, Kyle O'Reilly has not been, the best with his promos. I mean, he's there. He does his part. But last week, Adam Cole was really good. I mean, like, really freaking good. Really believable. And that's what the best guys can do. They can go out there, and if they're given a a scripted promo, they still make it seem real. They make it their own. Kevin Owens is very similar to doing that. I, I don't know if Kevin Owens is given a script or told to say certain lines, but I never really feel like He's going out there and just regurgitating something somebody gave him. And Adam right. Cole is the same way. Right. Uh, this match is going to be awesome. This is going to be a really freaking good match. I can't wait for this. Yeah, I-, I can't either. Do you think this match becomes the match of not just TakeOver, but WrestleMania weekend? Actually, surprisingly, I am. I think that the match that's going to be, well, there's really two matches I'm looking forward to that I think are going to su- surprise people. Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly, because so many people think that's going to be very good, including myself, it does has potential to disappoint. I'm looking forward to Walter and Champa because I, I think that we've all forgotten that, that how good Champa really can be. And we haven't seen Walt, unless you've paid attention to NXT UK, um, you know, you, you just don't know what to expect out of Walter. Any, anybody who watches this podcast that doesn't follow NXT, you should make it a point to at least go watch that match just to hear the chops from Walter. And then the other mm-hmm. match I'm looking forward to is Escobar and Devlin in the latter match. Yes. Because that is going to be, that has a lot of potential in it too. Yes. I, I think Escobar and Devlin, like Devlin from what I've seen on NXT UK here and there is looked really, really good. And I've loved Santos Escobar since he's came in and try to make some kind of prestige to the cruiserweight division. And he's done a really good job. He's really good promo. I think Devlin was a good promo. Honest, I wish they did more back and forth on the mic. Cause I thought they would have had some really good segments, but given the time and the pandemic and stuff, yeah. but the, I mean, the spot, the spot, I don't know if you saw the spot with HBK bringing the ladder out. Yeah. That was all I needed to be sold on it because yep. it's just like a callback to him and Razor, and it's like, okay, guys, here you go. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, moving on to our next segment here, it is the six-man tag match: Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers going up against the Lucha Brothers and Laredo Kid. I thought, you know, this definitely brought Dynamite to the next level as far as the speed and the pace of the show. Um, I felt like the first hour was just really, really slow. And not not like Cage and Frankie Kazarian, like it was a good pace, but like that second segment all the way to the top of the first hour just felt slow. And I don't know why, but this match kicked it to that next level. Obviously with the Lucha Brothers and Laredo Kid and the whole Lucha Libre, yeah. you're not going to get slow. It, does, it just doesn't happen. Your speeds are fast, really fast, or fucking 
warp speed. So um, I thought it was a good match for what it was. And then afterwards, we got a backstage, or beforehand, we got the backstage segment with Matt Jackson and Don Callis. Leads to John Moxley and the Young Bucks teaming together to attack Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers. We know that these six are going to be in a trios match next week. What are your thoughts on this whole the match itself and the six man the attack by Moxley and the Bucks? Uh, I think it was all logical. I mean, the match itself was fine. I I mean, they were kind of teasing this this dynamic between Moxley and the Bucks, and you know, you didn't really know what was going to happen given the history between. Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, the fact that they, you know, had they are the elite, they were in the Bullet Club together, et cetera, et cetera. So um just gonna be interesting to see how this all plays out because Don Callis certainly is up to his his evil ways in the back, as we saw when he was trying to coerce the Young Bucks back there. If if only he showed up to the show five months ago when the Bucks were running around super kicking everybody, he would have gotten yeah. the evil bucks that he wanted. Right. But now they seem to have found their moral compass after uh, kicking the crap out of FTR a couple of times. So yep. we'll see how this plays out. Uh, I don't know. I just don't know if I actually foresee the Bucks helping Moxley in the end. But, so you think So you think the Bucks next week turn on Moxley, and then we finally see the Bucks join forces with Kenny Omega, like Don Callis has finally shown the light to Matt Jackson. I mean, that's what he wants. That's what he's trying to do, I would think. Yeah. I don't think they would tease it if they didn't at, at least intend to try and build it into the story. So they're either going to actually side with Kenny or they're not, obviously. Right. But at least that little bit, that little segment helps build intrigue so it's not as much black and white and there is some gray there. There is. And there's nothing wrong with having that gray area. What's no, going to happen fine. with Matt Jackson? I, I, I don't think there's quite a linear path to this storyline. And I think that's what makes it good. Um, I think Kenny needs a good storyline and this is kind of starting it. I don't know if Moxley's involvement, like, I feel like they did, like they did everything with the exploding barbed wire death match. Yeah. And the story kind of progressed with him and Kingston. So I'm interested to see how they add the bucks and John Moxley to this. So it'll definitely be, an interesting dynamic to that. Yeah. But. And the one thing, well, the one thing with this, like you said, they've done everything they need to do with Moxley. Like I, I wish they had now moved on from the feud between Kenny and, and Moxley. Cause it's it, right now it's kind of like, it's outstaying. It's welcome. It's clear that they're just kind of doing this uh, to progress to whoever that ends up eventually being, whether it's Christian or somebody else, because right now I can't even think of another person that would even be, up to challenge for the title. There's really no clear number one contender. Cody can't challenge for it. Jericho's tied up with MJF. Um, so who do you have? You know, and, and, right. and obviously Omega's going to go and challenge um, Rich Swan for to unify the title or what it bring the they, right. for the impact, whatever title they're trying to create or yeah. whatever they're going to do with that. Right. Um, so I don't know. I yeah. I, I, I kind of feel the same way. I feel like they're just including Moxley to kind of move this whole thing along, but you know, they're not really building towards creating another challenger for Omega right now. Right. I believe hangman page is ranked number one in the men's rankings right now. So I know that's eventually where they're going to lead to Omega and hangman, but I think they need to start incorporating them back into the storyline before that even happens. And yeah, 
I, I mean, yes, the subtlety of him being ranked number one, if people are even following the rankings anymore. But I, I think, we'll, well, I guess we'll see how it goes between those two. But let's bring it back to NXT. Um, we saw Zaylee beat Katie, uh, Casey Cannonzaro and Kaden Carter after Mei Ying blew smoke in Kaden Carter's face. That knocked her out. It was very weird match. Um, not much to talk about there. But let's talk about the main event on NXT. That is the Gauntlet Eliminator match. So there were 11 people in this. It was supposed to be 12. We already mentioned Roderick Strong left the the full sale early um, after losing to Cameron Grimes. So uh, the final six move on to the Gauntlet Eliminator at TakeOver next week. LA Knight wins the Gauntlet Eliminator, last eliminating Dexter Loomis. So LA Knight is the last person to go in. Dexter Loomis goes second to last. And then you have Cameron Grimes, Bronson Reed, Swerve Scott, and Leon Ruff. Now, also, Kushida was in this. Pete Dunn was in this. They both get eliminated at the same time where Kushida went for the hoverboard lock. They both go over the top rope. That was interesting. Um, For the most part, you have Dexter Loomis standing in the corner, not doing anything, just waiting for everybody to beat each other up. Uh, Leon Ruff? Is in the six, I guess, you know, the further storyline between him and Isaiah Swerve Scott, I get, but you have Pete Dunn and Kushida there. How do you not put them in a takeover unless they're getting their own match a takeover? If they're getting their own match a takeover, it hasn't been announced yet. I'm all for it. But I think missed opportunity here if there's no takeover match with Kushida and Pete Dunn. Yeah, and it's weird because weren't they just trying to push Pete Dunne not too long ago is like the best technical wrestler. He was coming out. Well, yeah, that's about the story. That. That's was the he, story. But because... Wasn't he left off a couple of weeks now because was he one of the guys that was involved in that whole NXT COVID outbreak, which really, I guess, wasn't actually as much of an outbreak as people were kind of letting on. I don't know if he was involved in it, but I know there was some kind of outbreak and obviously it changed some things around on NXT that week, but I don't know who was involved. I don't think any names were mentioned, but maybe Pete Dunne was. And with Pete Dunn and Kushida, that's going to be a great match. And if you put in the gauntlet eliminator, just give them 15, 20 minutes, and then you could do it again at the next takeover. Yeah. But I think, I mean, maybe they're going to announce that match. and I just haven't heard it yet. What do you make of uh, our boy LA Knight going over there? Too Uh, fast, too soon. Should he win the title? I feel like it was the right move to make him win the, the gauntlet eliminator given the, of the six that we got here. I thought maybe Grimes would have weaseled his way into the victory, but LA Knight with the way Loomis went over and LA Knight went through the ropes and pulling them off. It was a great way to show LA Knight's, you know, not going to be this, you know, tope suicida kind of guy to get people. He's just going to be smart about getting wins. That's all it's what it's about. Right. So it fits his character. Obviously Bronson Reed being in there. So I think him and, Reed are going to be involved in the gauntlet some way or another. I don't know if he, well, if Reed and if Reed and Knight face off in the gauntlet eliminator, that means Reed has to go all the way to the last person. So does LA Knight get his win back against Bronson Reed? I don't know. Uh, I felt like this was all about Loomis. I think Loomis still needs to get that NXT North American title match. And I think he's going to be the one that goes over. I mean, Loomis would be the likely choice to face Gargano, right? 
Yes. You would think because they've been building towards that. Yep. Um, having LA Knight win is interesting, but they can easily have him feud with somebody else. So, yeah. What'd you think of Austin Theory's elimination? So, for those that missed it, Austin Theory goes over the top rope. I believe Bronson Reed is the one that throws him over. And he tries to catch the bottom rope with his feet on the bottom. But he, I don't know if this was a botch or intentional, but his feet slip and he lands on his back. He doesn't know how to get back into the ring. He tries to scoot himself to the to the steps. And he's like, I'm not going to make it. So he's like, I know what I'll do. And he does a kip up and lands on his feet. <laughs> and the ref's like, you're eliminated. He's like, Why? Did your feet touch the the floor? That's why. Yeah, moronic. <laughs> but that's his character right now. He is an idiot. <laughs> One of the hottest guys on the indie scene before going to NXT. But he does play the character well, so. He does. What can you say? He does, but I would have thought he, especially when they were teasing that Austin Theory would win and then they do the whole finger poke of doom. I thought that would have been a great way to get him to win the Eliminator tournament or Battle Royal to have him go last, and then he wins, and then you get the finger poked the next night. But obviously that's not happening, and we'll see how that story progresses. But we have the main event of NXT Dynamite, Ralph, and I feel like we either this is going to be a lot of praise from Ralph or a lot of uh-oh from Ralph. The Arcade Anarchy match, Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor against... Miro and Kip Sabian. I mean, if you're looking for a five-star classic, you are going to throw something at the TV because it was far from that. But I found it very entertaining. I like the chaos in it. We get the return of Chris Statlander coming through the alien claw game. And then we get the return of not only Trent, but Sue comes back as well, driving in with the van. Uh, You see Statlander putting Penelope Ford through the air hockey table. Somehow, everybody has the strength to carry these arcade games, you know, out, like it's cardboard and hit people with it. Eventually, uh, Chuck Taylor puts Kip Sabian through the platform with a power slam off the stage for the victory. I thought it was an entertaining match. If you just let go of the fact that it was not going to be a five-star match and just have fun with it, I think you'll be entertained. And that's kind of like where I am with the match. Um, I'm not a fan of all parties involved. I think Miro has been an absolute utter waste since he's been brought to AEW or chose, I should say, chose to go to AEW. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's been misused, mishandled. They they haven't really done much with him. This is, of course, no exception to it. Um, everybody knows my feelings on Orange Cassidy, good wrestler, but you know the, the gimmick itself whatever it's got its niche market and that's what i feel about this match if you're an AEW fan you probably thought this was amazing you probably thought it was great you probably thought it was something that was outside of the box and fun and all this other stuff and and that's fine i'm not going to tell you you shouldn't enjoy it if you enjoyed it that's great that's the whole point of it do i think this is going to do anything for the future of AEW, especially considering their their viewership was was honestly quite pitiful this this past week no i don't i don't think this is going to do anything to attract new fans i don't think this does anything to build new stars i don't think that this does anything for anybody um that being said as a match for what it was the gimmick match i thought it was fine i guess (laughs) so 
So were you were you entertained at least? Yeah, I mean, is it is it is it? Look, do do I think that that's the type? Like, if I was going to watch a wrestling match, would I would I choose to watch that? No. What do I think that should main event? Any show, whether it be NXT, Raw, SmackDown, no, I don't think that should be a main event type match. Um, I think it's goofy. I choose not to watch matches like that in WWE specifically because I don't like that stuff. I don't. I don't like corny gimmick type matches like that. You know, um, I think they all did the best that they possibly could. I think Trent's a million bucks. I think that if you ch- told me I could see a feud between Miro and Trent, I'd I'd think that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Um, it it was what it was. I mean, I, in all honesty, I didn't hate it. It's a gimmick match. It is what it is. I mean, at, that to me, that's like a w, no different than WWE having like one of those silly food fight matches around Thanksgiving time. That's that's kind of like what I felt. Or like games, insert city name street fight that they always do once in a while, like Chicago street fight, Philadelphia yeah. street fight, yeah, all those kind of things. But yeah, and I, I'm not a fan of those. I mean, it. it my God, I, it's like, especially with AEW, a newer company, it's just like they have so many weird gimmicky type matches that you had the arcade match. How many unsanctioned matches have they had in their history so far? It's like Four there was one on, on Dynamite now again. Um, and, you know, it's it's not a bad thing, but sometimes it pays to just have good wrestling, especially when you have good wrestlers. You have Kenny Omega, you have Darby Allen, you have Scorpio Sky. You have Christian. I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, that's kind of what we saw from the Attitude Era, and people want the Attitude Era back. And actually, was just watching WrestleMania 2000, and you had the Hardcore Battle Royale. You had the Fatal 4-Way Eliminator, which went through tables and weapons in that match. Uh, you had the the ladder match, and the first triangle ladder match in there. So people want that. You know, that kind they of want chaotic that, but thing. Th- what's the one thing that's missing? A, a megastar? Uh, yes, the, 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 the talent. You, they don't have, I mean, no offense to these guys, but you're like the people that I'm sure the people that were in those matches you were talking about, even though they were probably uh, mid-level stars or upper mid-carters, I, what, you're going to compare them to, to, to Chuck or, or Orange Cassidy or... Whoever else, well, I they mean, just Taz was in the the hardcore battle royal. Well, thank you. Ta- Taz is, was a very good technical professional wrestler, but he's also prime. in AEW now. He's not wrestling. He <laughs> wasn't know. involved in this arcade arcade match. I know, but I mean, it, it's very similar to that hardcore battle royal, where it's just a lot of weaponry and things getting thrown together, and people getting hit with stuff and. Meryl getting piled up by arcades and tables and whatever. I mean, it, I where was like the I said, Allen? Where was the Allen last night? I thought they were, we were going to see the resurrection of the the Allen. Isn't that how this whole thing started? It did. But Who broke my Allen. Oh, I don't up. remember. I don't remember them being a, like they're going to resurrect Allen. But I don't know. I, I may have missed that somewhere. Well, but. Hopefully, the, as as Meryl would say, hopefully this is game over for Kip and Meryl, and Meryl can go on to. Bigger and better things and stop with the the silliness. Well, I think that Kip taking the pin is definitely going to help progress Mero and being like, I'm sick of losing to these morons. You're done. And then he becomes the the guy that we want to see from the Rusev or Mero or whatever the case may be. But 
Ratings are in this week, Ralph. You kind of already hinted at it that the viewership was not that good. AEW Dynamite's 18 and 49 ratings actually went down from last week. They went down to a 0.26 and they went down in total viewership to 700,000 total viewers. Well, NXT, I don't know if it's just because it's the last week of this whole AEW versus NXT thing without a takeover getting simulcast next week, but NXT goes from a 0.14 last week to a 0.21 this week and has 654,000 total uh, viewers there. This is the closest margin we've seen in both the 1849 demographic and the total viewership in a very long time, Ralph. So I got to ask you, with the ratings, I think it's finally safe to say this war is finally over. Thank God. Can we move on? Can we... You know, not talk about which show is better, like focus on AEW Dynamite's ratings, NXT's ratings. I think the fans win in this decision. But for one last week, who wins the AEW versus NXT Wednesday Night War? Ooh, I mean, I thought both shows were really kind of even. I don't think there was anything... I'll say Dynamite was better because my favorite segment was on that. I thought the the the... Uh, dressing room brawl, if you will, was my favorite part between both shows. So I'll I'll say dynamite by a very slight edge. Okay, I, I here's the thing. I felt like NXT had a much better pace this week because, like I said, the first hour of dynamite felt really slow to me. After that Christian Kazarian match, I just felt like they were kind of stuck in the mud. And then after the Kenny Omega. Um, and Good Brothers versus Laredo Kid and the Lucha Brothers match, I think they finally took it to the next level. And I like I like the Anarchy match. I thought it was entertaining. Like I said, if you're looking for a five-star match, obviously you're not going to get it, and you might not be entertained by it. Um, I, I think storyline progression, I did like the surprises from Chris Statlander, the surprise from the Inner Circle, the surprise from Trent coming back. <coughs> Excuse me. I thought that was all good. But I think this week, NXT and that movie trailer that we got from Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole just getting me pumped up for NXT TakeOver, the back and forth with Raquel Gonzalez and Io Shirai, um, the opening match, I think there was just a lot more positive there than there was from Dynamite this week. So I'm actually going to go with, with, AW, or excuse me, with NXT this week. Now, this is our final review of both shows on the same episode. Does that mean we are done with AEW Dynamite reviews? Does that mean it's we're done with NXT reviews? We're going to leave it up to you guys. What do you want from us from the Squared Circle Psycho Babble? Should we cover reviews anymore? Should we even stop with reviews? Because we're not an AEW podcast. We're not an NXT podcast, Ralph. So do we pivot, as they call it in the YouTube or podcast industry, and focus on more generic or evergreen wrestling content. What shall we do with the future of the Squared Circle Psychobabble? This could potentially be the end of the road. It could we be. could fade to black, as Alistair Black would say. We could. And we right know what he... the sunset. We could. Right we off could... and on our, on our Matt Riddle scooters into the sunset. Or maybe we, we can have... Uh, Chuck's, or, um, I'm sorry, Trent's mom come with the minivan and travel off into the sunset. 
maybe we could go to Vince McMahon and he could send us the catering for three months before we finally figure out the plans for the squared circle psycho babble. Hashtag wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Yes, we may be future endeavored here, but the only way to know what's going to happen is if by subscribing, hitting that bell for notifications. So if we do have another episode of the Squared Circle Psycho Babble, you don't miss it. For Ralph Valenti, my name's Michael Valenti, and we fade to black.